0: Chapter 5, Section 2 Continued of Partial Portraits by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Rita Boutros. Chapter 5, Part 2 Continued, Robert Louis Stevenson. These little histories the first volumes if i mistake not that introduced mr stevenson to lovers of good writing abound in charming illustrations of his disposition to look at the world as a not exactly refined but glorified pacified bohemia they narrate the quest of personal adventure on one occasion in a canoe on the sombre and the wysey and on another at a donkey's tail over the hills and valleys of the Cévennes. I well remember that when I read them in their novelty, upwards of ten years ago, I seemed to see the author, unknown as yet to fame, jump before my eyes into a style. His steps in literature presumably had not been many. Yet he had mastered his form. It had, in these cases, perhaps more substance than his matter and a singular air of literary experience. It partly, though not completely, explains the phenomenon that he had already been able to write the exquisite little story of Will of the Mill, published previously to An Inland Voyage, and republished to-day in the volume of The Merry Men. For in Will of the Mill there is something exceedingly rare, poetical, and unexpected with that most fascinating quality a work of imagination can have a dash of alternative mystery as to its meaning an air the air of life itself of half inviting half defying you to interpret this brief but finished composition stood in the same relation to the usual magazine story that a glass of johannesburg occupies to a draught of table d'hte van ordinaire one evening he asked the miller where the river went it goes out into the lowlands and waters the great corn country and runs through a sight of fine cities so they say where kings live all alone in great palaces with a sentry walking up and down before the door and it goes under bridges with stone men upon them looking down and smiling so curious at the water and living folks leaning on their elbows on the wall and looking over too and then it goes on and on, and down through marshes and sands, until at last it falls into the sea, where the ships are that bring tobacco and parrots from the Indies. It is impossible not to open one's eyes at such a paragraph as that, especially if one has taken a common texture for granted. Will of the mill spends his life in the valley through which the river runs, and through which, year after year, post-chaises and wagons and pedestrians, and once an army, horse and foot, cannon and tumbril, drum and standard, take their way, in spite of the dreams he once had of seeing the mysterious world. And it is not till death comes that he goes on his travels, He ends by keeping an inn, where he converses with many more initiated spirits, and though he is an amiable man, he dies a bachelor, having broken off with more plainness than he would have used had he been less untravelled. Of course he remains sadly provincial his engagement to the parson's daughter. The story is in the happiest key, and suggests all kinds of things, But what does it in particular represent the advantage of waiting perhaps the valuable truth that one by one we tied over our impatiences there are sagacious people who hold that if one does not answer a letter it ends by answering itself so the subtitle of mr stevenson's tale might be the beauty of procrastination If you do not indulge your curiosities, your slackness itself makes at last a kind of rich element, and it comes to very much the same thing in the end. When it came to the point poor Will had not even the curiosity to marry, and the author leaves us in stimulating doubt as to whether he judges him too selfish or only too philosophic. I find myself speaking of Mr. Stevenson's last volume, at the moment I write, before I have spoken in any detail of its predecessors, which I must let pass as a sign that I lack space for a full enumeration. I may mention two more of his productions as completing the list of those that have a personal reference the silverado squatters describes a picnicking episode undertaken on grounds of health on a mountain top in california but this free sketch which contains a hundred humorous touches and in the figure of irvine lovelands one of mr stevenson's most voracious portraits is perhaps less vivid as it is certainly less painful than those other pages in which some years ago he commemorated the twelvemonth he spent in america the history of a journey from new york to san francisco in an emigrant train performed as a sequel to a voyage across the Atlantic in the same severe conditions. He has never made his points better than in this half-humorous, half-tragical recital, nor given a more striking instance of his talent for reproducing the feeling of queer situations and contacts. It is much to be regretted that this little masterpiece had not been brought to light a second time, as also that he has not given the world, as I believe he came very near doing, his observations in the steerage of an Atlantic liner. If, as I say, our author has a taste for the impressions of Bohemia, he has been very consistent, and has not shrunk from going far afield in search of them and as i have already been indiscreet i may add that if it has been his fate to be converted in fact from the sardonic view of matrimony this occurred under an influence which should have the particular sympathy of american readers he went to california for his wife and mrs stevenson as appears moreover by the title-page of his work has had a hand evidently a light and practised one in the dynamiter the second series characterised by a rich extravagance of the new arabian nights the silverado squatters is the history of a honeymoon prosperous it would seem putting irvine lovelands aside save for the death of dog in his teens after a life so shadowed and troubled continually shaken with alarm and with the tear of elegant sentiment permanently in his eye mr stevenson has a theory of composition in regard to the novel on which he is to be congratulated as any positive and genuine conviction of this kind is vivifying so long as it is not narrow the breadth of the novelist's being is his liberty, and the incomparable virtue of the form he uses is that it lends itself to views innumerable and diverse, to every variety of illustration. There is certainly no other mould of so large a capacity. The doctrine of Monsieur Zola himself, so jejun, if literally taken, is fruitful. Inasmuch as in practice he romantically departs from it. Mr. Stevenson does not need to depart, his individual taste being as much to pursue the romantic as his principle is to defend it. Fortunately, in England today it is not much attacked. The triumphs that are to be won in the portrayal of the strange, the improbable, the heroic, especially as these things shine from afar in the credulous eye of youth are his strongest most constant incentive on one happy occasion in relating the history of dr jekyll he has seen them as they present themselves to a maturer vision dr jekyll is not a boy's book nor yet is prince otto the latter however is not like the former an experiment in mystification it is i think more than anything else an experiment in style conceived one summer's day when the author had given the reins to his high appreciation of mr george meredith it is perhaps the most literary of his works but it is not the most natural It is one of those coquetries, as we may call them for want of a better word, which may be observed in Mr. Stevenson's activity, a kind of artful inconsequence. It is easy to believe that if his strength permitted him to be a more abundant writer, he would still more frequently play this eminently literary trick, that of dodging off in a new direction upon those who might have fancied they knew all about him. I made the reflection, in speaking of Will of the Mill, that there is a kind of anticipatory malice in the subject of that fine story, as if the writer had intended to say to his reader, "'You will never guess, from the unction with which I describe the life of a man who never stirred five miles from home, that I am destined to make my greatest hits in treating of the rovers of the deep.' even here however the author's characteristic irony would have come in for the rare chances of life being what he most keeps his eye on the uncommon belongs as much to the way the inquiring will sticks to his door-sill as to the incident say of john silver and his men when they are dragging jim hawkins to his doom hearing in the still woods of treasure island the strange hoot of the maroon The novelist, who leaves the extraordinary out of his account, is liable to awkward confrontations, as we are compelled to reflect in this age of newspapers and of universal publicity. The next report of the next divorce case, to give an instance, shall offer us a picture of astounding combinations of circumstance and behaviour and the annals of any energetic race are rich in curious anecdote and startling example that interesting compilation vicissitudes of families is but a superficial record of strange accidents the family taken of course in the long piece is as a general thing a catalogue of odd specimens and tangled situations and we must remember that the most singular products are those which are not exhibited mr stevenson leaves so wide a margin for the wonderful it impinges with easy assurance upon the text that he escapes the danger of being brought up by cases he has not allowed for When he allows for Mr. Hyde, he allows for everything, and one feels moreover that even if he did not wave so gallantly the flag of the imaginative, and contend that the improbable is what has most character, he would still insist that we ought to make believe. He would say we ought to make believe that the extraordinary is the best part of life, even if it were not, and to do so because the finest feelings suspense daring decision passion curiosity gallantry eloquence friendship are involved in it and it is of infinite importance that the tradition of these precious things should not perish he would prefer in a word any day in the week alexander dumont to honore de balzac and it is indeed my impression that he prefers the author of the three musketeers to any novelist except mr george meredith i should go so far as to suspect that his ideal of the delightful work of fiction would be the adventures of monte cristo related by the author of richard feverell There is some magnanimity in his esteem for Alexandre Dumas, inasmuch as in Kidnapped he has put into a fable worthy of that inventor a closeness of notation with which Dumas never had anything to do. He makes us say, let the tradition live by all means, since it was delightful but at the same time he is the cause of our perceiving afresh that a tradition is kept alive only by something being added to it in this particular case in dr jekyll and kidnapped mr stevenson has added psychology the new arabian nights offer us as the title indicates the wonderful in the frankest most delectable form partly extravagant and partly very specious they are the result of a very happy idea that of placing a series of adventures which are pure adventures in the setting of contemporary english life and relating them in the placidly ingenuous tone of scheherazade this device is carried to perfection in the dynamiter where the manner takes on more of a kind of high-flown serenity in proportion as the incidents are more steep in this line the suicide club is mr stevenson's greatest success and the first two pages of it not to mention others live in the memory for reasons which i am conscious of not being able to represent as sufficient i find something ineffably impressive something really haunting in the incident of prince florizel and colonel geraldine who one evening in march are driven by a sharp fall of sleet into an oyster bar in the immediate neighbourhood of leicester square and there have occasion to observe the entrance of a young man followed by a couple of commissionaires each of whom carries a large dish of cream tarts under a cover a young man who pressed these confections on everyone's acceptance with exaggerated courtesy There is no effort at a picture here, but the imagination makes one of the lighted interior, the London sleet outside, the company that we guess, given the locality, and the strange politeness of the young man, leading on to circumstances stranger still. This is what may be called putting one in the mood for a story but mr stevenson's most brilliant stroke of that kind is the opening episode of treasure island the arrival of the brown old seaman with the sabre cut at the admiral benbow and the advent not long after of the blind sailor with a green shade over his eyes who comes tapping down the road in quest of him with his stick Treasure Island is a boy's book, in the sense that it embodies a boy's vision of the extraordinary. But it is unique in this, and calculated to fascinate the weary mind of experience, that what we see in it is not only the ideal fable, but, as part and parcel of that as it were, the young reader himself and his state of mind we seem to read it over his shoulder with an arm around his neck it is all as perfect as a well-played boy's game and nothing can exceed the spirit and skill the humour and the open-air feeling with which the thing is kept at the palpitating pitch it is not only a record of queer chances but a study of young feelings there is a moral side in it and the figures are not puppets with vague faces if jim hawkins illustrates successful daring he does so with a delightful rosy good boyishness and a conscious modest liability to error his luck is tremendous but it does not make him proud and his manner is refreshingly provincial and human so is that even more of the admirable john silver one of the most picturesque and indeed in every way most genially presented villains in the whole literature of romance he has a singularly distinct and expressive countenance which of course turns out to be a grimacing mask never was a mask more knowingly vividly painted Treasure Island will surely become, it must already have become and will remain, in its way, a classic, thanks to this indescribable mixture of the prodigious and the human, of surprising coincidences and familiar feelings. The language in which Mr. Stevenson has chosen to tell his story is an admirable vehicle for these feelings.' with its humorous braveries and quaintnesses its echoes of old ballads and yarns it touches all kinds of sympathetic chords is dr jekyll and mr hyde a work of high philosophic intention or simply the most ingenious and irresponsible of fictions it has the stamp of a really imaginative production that we may take it in different ways but I suppose it would generally be called the most serious of the author's tales. It deals with the relation of the baser parts of man to his nobler, of the capacity for evil that exists in the most generous natures, and it expresses these things in a fable which is a wonderfully happy invention. The subject is endlessly interesting, and rich in all sorts of provocation and Mr. Stevenson is to be congratulated on having touched the core of it. I may do him injustice, but it is, however, here, not the profundity of the idea which strikes me so much as the art of the presentation, the extremely successful form. There is a genuine feeling for the perpetual moral question, a fresh sense of the difficulty of being good, and the brutishness of being bad but what there is above all is a singular ability in holding the interest. I confess that that, to my sense, is the most edifying thing in the short, rapid, concentrated story which is really a masterpiece of concision. There is something almost impertinent in the way, as I have noticed, in which Mr. Stevenson achieves his best effects without the aid of the ladies, and dr jekyll is a capital example of his heartless independence it is usually supposed that a truly poignant impression cannot be made without them but in the drama of mr hyde's fatal ascendancy, they remain altogether in the wing it is very obvious i do not say it cynically that they must have played an important part in his development The gruesome tone of the tale is, no doubt, deepened by their absence. It is like the late afternoon light of a foggy winter Sunday, when even inanimate objects have a kind of wicked look i remember few situations in the pages of mystifying fiction more to the purpose than the episode of mr utterson's going to dr jekyll's to confer with the butler when the doctor is locked up in his laboratory and the old servant whose sagacity has hitherto encountered successfully the problems of the sideboard and the pantry confesses that this time he is utterly baffled the way the two men at the door of the laboratory discuss the identity of the mysterious personage inside who has revealed himself in two or three inhuman glimpses to pool has those touches of which irresistible shudders are made the butler's theory is that his master has been murdered and that the murderer is in the room personating him with a sort of clumsy diabolism well when that masked thing like a monkey jumped from among the chemicals and whipped into the cabinet it went down my spine like ice that is the effect upon the reader of most of the story i say of most rather than of all because the ice rather melts in the sequel and i have some difficulty in accepting the business of the powders which seems to me too explicit and explanatory The powders constitute the machinery of the transformation, and it will probably have struck many readers that this uncanny process would be more conceivable, so far as one may speak of the conceivable in such a case, if the author had not made it so definite. I have left Mr. Stevenson's best book to the last, as it is also the last he has given, at the present speaking, to the public the tales comprising the merry men having already appeared but i find that on the way i have anticipated some of the remarks that i had intended to make about it that which is most to the point is that there are parts of it so fine as to suggest that the author's talent has taken a fresh start various as have been the impulses in which it had already indulged and serious the hindrances among which it is condemned to exert itself There would have been a kind of perverse humility in his keeping up the fiction that a production so literary as kidnapped is addressed to immature minds, and though it was originally given to the world, I believe, in a boy's paper, the story embraces every occasion that it meets to satisfy the higher criticism. It has two weak spots, which need simply to be mentioned." The cruel and miserly uncle in the first chapters is rather in the tone of superseded tradition, and the tricks he plays upon his ingenuous nephew are a little like those of country conjurers. In these pages we feel that Mr. Stevenson is thinking too much of what a boy's paper is expected to contain. Then the history stops without ending as it were but i think i may add that this accident speaks for itself mr stevenson has often to lay down his pen for reasons that have nothing to do with the failure of inspiration and the last page of david balfour's adventures is an honourable plea for indulgence the remaining five-sixths of the book deserve to stand by henry esmond as a fictive autobiography in archaic form The author's sense of the English idiom of the last century, and still more of the Scotch, has enabled him to give a gallant companion to Thackeray's tour de force. The life, the humour, the colour of the central portions of Kidnapped have a singular pictorial virtue. These passages read like a series of inspired footnotes on some historic page the charm of the most romantic episode in the world though perhaps it would be hard to say why it is the most romantic when it was associated with so much stupidity is over the whole business and the forlorn hope of the stuarts is revived for us without evoking satiety There could be no better instance of the author's talent for seeing the familiar in the heroic, and reducing the extravagant to plausible detail, than the description of Alan Breck's defense in the cabin of the ship, and the really magnificent chapters of The Flight in the Heather. Mr. Stevenson has in a high degree, and doubtless for good reasons of his own, what may be called the imagination of physical states— and this has enabled him to arrive at a wonderfully exact translation of the miseries of his panting lowland hero dragged for days and nights over hill and dale through bog and thicket without meat or drink or rest at the tale of a homeric highlander the great superiority of the book resides to my mind however in the fact that it puts two characters on their feet with admirable rectitude i have paid my tribute to alan breck and i can only repeat that he is a masterpiece it is interesting to observe that though the man is extravagant the author's touch exaggerates nothing it is throughout of the most truthful genial ironical kind full of penetration but with none of the grossness of moralizing satire the figure is a genuine study and nothing can be more charming than the way mr Stevenson both sees through it and admires it shall i say that he sees through david balfour this would be perhaps to underestimate the density of that medium beautiful at any rate, is the expression which this unfortunate though circumspect youth gives to those qualities which combine to excite our respect and our objurgation in the Scottish character. Such a scene as the episode of the quarrel of the two men on the mountainside is a real stroke of genius, and has the very logic and rhythm of life, a quarrel which we feel to be inevitable though it is about nothing or almost nothing and which springs from exasperated nerves and the simple shock of temperaments the author's vision of it has a profundity which goes deeper i think than dr jekyll i know of few better examples of the way genius has ever a surprise in its pocket keeps an ace as it were up its sleeve and in this case it endears itself to us by making us reflect that such a passage as the one i speak of is in fact a signal proof of what the novel can do at its best and what nothing else can do so well in the presence of this sort of success we perceive its immense value It is capable of a rare transparency. It can illustrate human affairs in cases so delicate and complicated that any other vehicle would be clumsy. To those who love the art that Mr. Stevenson practices, he will appear in pointing this incidental moral not only to have won a particular triumph, but to have given a delightful pledge. 1887 End of chapter 5. Section 2. Robert Louis Stevenson.